They are using all kinds of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. And we're live on Skywatchers Radio here on the Supermedia Network on this fantastic October 1st, 2010. Welcome, everybody, to the show. With me here tonight, or today, I should say, is... Dennis Crenshaw and Rick Osman. How are you guys doing today? Doing I'm well. It's been a beautiful day. Beautiful well, day time, here in Southern Indiana. There you go. Southern Indiana, it's a beautiful day, huh? It's it's scorching hot down here in Florida today. Congratulations. Yes, it is. And it's, we had a beautiful... Uh, and it, we just got over rain here in Jacksonville. Two days of solid rain, which was nice. Uh, you had rain down there in Miami, didn't you? Man, it's been raining the past week almost nonstop, and today the sun just opened up, and it's been nothing but shine and sun all day long. It's been oh, a so beautiful it's a day. It's actually, yeah, it, well, actually, today is like beautiful beach weather. It's humid, it's warm. And it's just nice and, and humid outside. It's a beautiful beach weather today. It really is. But we're not here to talk about the beach, guys. We're here to talk about UFOs, space, well, well, aliens. I, that's, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because I have a very, we have a very big problem. We have well, we always have a big problem here on Skywatchers. But what's the problem, Dennis? Well, well the problem is it, it was brought to our attention by... The Sedona Red Rock News. If anybody doesn't know anything about Sedona, Google it. Uh, it says, Alien in Trouble with the City. This is written Uh-oh. by Christopher Graham. And this was posted on Friday. Okay. Uh, it says, One alien in the Sedona area may be in trouble with the law. And this has nothing to do with Senate Bill 1070. The alien in question pilots a flying saucer and is in violation of Sedona's sign ordinance, according to Development Service Supervisor Jen Winham. Quote, my UFO is being discriminated against, said Jennifer McCoy, owner of the saucer parked in front of a UFO store south of the Y roundabout. Sedona Code Enforcement Officer John Egan said the UFO is in the Arizona Department of Transportation's right-of-way on Highway from State Route 179. He initially suggested to McCoy the vehicle would be in compliance if it was moved behind the telephone pole of the property. In October 2008, McCoy brought the flying saucer from the Sedona Airport. By the way, it's a pretty neat looking little saucer with an alien sitting in it. The saucer was built around an all-terrain vehicle by artist Barry L. Hill who donated it to the airport. 
he didn't want it left up at the airport in a hangar, McCoy said. I purchased this from the airport because I knew that people would enjoy it. From October 2008 into April, the saucer was on display outside her husband's previous location a few hundred feet south and down the hill. McCoy said she had no problem when the vehicle was parked there. Tourists regularly visit the saucer and take photographs and sometimes visit the store. There is no sign on the store advertise, uh, saucer advertisement store. Anyway, to make a long story short, they wanted to move her UFO. So my point is this is, this is just an example of what's going to happen with all the stuff that we know is going on in Brazil. Saucer and parking problem. Speaking of all the stuff that's revealed, that's a, a good story to have this week with everything that's been going on with the national press conference. Nice segue. Nice segue. Yeah. Very. Right. Yeah. Very. I mean, this national is. Uh, let's talk about the. Let's talk about this, guys. Yep. Uh, this is a very important thing that happened this past week. Um, you know, a bunch national of really, really known people got together <laughs> and uh, talked about what they know. Charles Holt, Brett. Uh, Bob Salas, uh, mm -hmm. half a dozen or so others, and of course the author, Mr. Hastings, all got on and told their story in front of the reporters, God, and everybody. And their stories all, nearly all, centered around unidentified flying objects, or as some of them called them aerial phenomenon, they're old school, in conjunction with nuclear weapon storage facilities or nuclear weapons launch facilities. Which is also an old story. Which is also which is an old story. It is, but the new story is that it got up in front of the National Press Club and CNN covered it. Yes. This makes it an official... This makes it official now that you know that they're taking this more serious when CNN is starting to put this on, on their official... Uh, pro broadcasting. I mean, this is uh, big. Yeah. This is well, really yeah, I mean, yes, they, no. they, they, yeah. they donated. Uh, they donated. They donated a whole minute and a half to it. Yeah, that's yes, where I did. was going. To put it in perspective, <laughs> they took the the entire hour and a half session and they put it into a minute and a half. So, <laughs> okay, they might not have covered it comprehensively, but at least they did cover it. At least they covered it. I mean, they covered it, and it, I didn't see anybody laughing at it when they reported it. So, I mean, at least that was good. I mean, that's been the one thing that, in ufology for good. how long yeah. now? Yep. I mean, Ever they they so. laugh at all this stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, nobody laughed at that one, and I, I was really, I was really, uh, really happy to see that. But I wish I'd have seen some of the other uh, other stations covering it, other news media and whatnot covering it other than the internet and and thank you CNN for that minute and a half. At least it's yeah. a minute and a half. You know? <laughs> yes. No, I'm sorry. I'm not being let, no. But well let's talk let's talk about the actual disclosure that they had on this uh conference. I mean what they're talking about is people who had sightings of objects that you couldn't identify and some of them are using words as they think they're interdimensional beings or definitely alien spacecrafts when really you can't determine that just by looking at something in the sky flying around no exactly right no but, exactly but, but but now if you go back and you listen to all this which we're going to have the opportunity to hear a lot of it here in a minute Yes. Most of them did not do that. What they said was, I don't know what it was. All I know is right. that I saw this and this and this. Right, right. right. So, you know, we they were they were doing the good witness, good observer stuff, and good reporter stuff, in my opinion. Most of them. 
yeah, you know, and people are going to ask, they're going to say, well, what, you know, what does this mean? What exactly is, is going to come out of this? You know, we've heard this before from people saying they've had encounters at UFOs or aliens or whatever. Well, the thing is that you have to look at these folks and who they were in, you know, their position in the army, military. You know, these folks have uh, right. credentials to back their story. Right. These are not just uh, some you know country Joe from the farm who's saying that he saw a UFO when he was milking the cow. I mean, this is uh, you know these are okay, people that are no, credible but, but, individuals. But now, my, now, 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 now my question comes: credible individuals. I saw one myself. I was a member of the 82nd Airborne yep. military during the time. Yes. Uh, Travis Walton saw one much better than I did, and he wasn't in the military. So does it mean that if you're in the military, your words to be believed better than if you're not? Because I also know of times. I also know of times. I also know of times when the military has flat out lied to us. Well, that's, that's most times. True. But the, but there is a subtle difference here. Now, whether it's a real difference is kind of immaterial. The the perceived difference is these were all all of all of them, save one, were retired Air Force officers of medium rank. I mean, they were colonels or lieutenant colonels. Right. Uh, one was a former enlisted, but his and his was the most credible story of all, in my opinion. But nevertheless, credible and important, I might add. Uh, nevertheless, the quality of their messenger is immaterial to the perceived quality of the messenger. So, so the retired right. officers. Yep, I agree with that. Because we've been we've been having. My point is that we have been having military people or those close to the mis uh, military disclose stuff all the way back to Donald Kehoe. And, uh, you know, so, so the fact that they're military people and the fact, you know, that they're, they're saying this, that really isn't the news. The news is that they're all coming out talking about the appearance of the UFOs over nuclear facilities, which we've been talking about for years and everybody's been ignoring. Now right. that... That now has more uh, 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 more punch punch for the dollar, shall we say? That's yeah. the news. Of the, that's the news of the release, I believe. And you know yes. who we really have to thank uh, for all these folks starting to come out now out of the woodwork. I mean, this is really all because of you know a person like Edgar Mitchell who came forward. You know, when he came forward, I mean, that broke the ice for a lot of these guys to start coming forward now and telling their stories of what they witnessed. You know, when they were in service. I mean that his, okay, his I think it's it, really important. I think most of it. I think most of it has to do with their the time has run out that they've signed it, that they said they wouldn't do anything. And I also no, think actually that that would not apply because the top secret thou shalt not last seventy five years for a lot of programs. Now, having said all that, and yes, Jackal, you're correct. Ed Mitchell broke a lot of ice, but I'd say the biggest icebreaker was Jesse Marcel Senior. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. think about this though. You, we could say that, but Jesse Marcel Senior, when he came forward, it was what the eighties, early eighties, around there, when he, yeah. you know, officially came forward and yeah. started saying that yeah, right. it was an alien spacecraft. But you know, even he stayed quiet for a long time, and he only came forward when he was getting older and sick, which is what started, you know, to come, right. you know, it's starting to become relevant here with a lot of these guys as they get older. You know, they stop caring about yep. keeping the secret and they just want to come forward with what they know, which makes it more credible in my eyes because they have nothing to lose at this point. You know, they, they have nothing exactly. to lose and nothing to gain. 
pretty much. It's like Walter Holt that came exactly. you know, forward on his deathbed. I mean, this guy's not trying to write a book. He's not trying to make a DVD and make money off of it. He's dying. He doesn't care about keeping a secret, and yet he comes forward right. Right. with this information because right. it's the truth, and he just and wants to get it out to the public. Well, and even, you know, even writing it up for only to be opened after his death and that kind of stuff. Exactly. There's, I mean, there's not much you can do to refute a story like that. Not effectively. At all. Although they they still try, of course. Uh I mean, who would have better knowledge of what went on on Roswell than Walter Holt? I mean, the guy was the press release officer for the damn army. I mean, come on. He he pre-wrote the press release for the actual cover-up. They told him, all right, you got to write this instead because you got to cover this up. I mean, he would know what exactly happened. He was, you know, one of the top guys in there. Well, he got all the information across his desk pretty, you know, exactly. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, it, it's incredible. But, yeah, we do have the audio of the actual national press conference that just passed this past week. We're going to play it here uh, shortly on the show. Uh, guys, do you have any news items that you want to share with the audience before we do play it, though? Uh, let's see. I got one. <clears throat> this is out of the uh, Yahoo News out of Canada. UFO sighting cool. over Cavendish Mall. UFO sighted over Cavendish Mall, probably explainable. While a sighting this week of a strange lighted object above Cavendish Mall is probably explainable, astronomer and UFO studies buff Chris Rithowski said Thursday, from his perspective, the jury is still out on the question of whether Earth is receiving visitors from extraterrestrials. Hundreds of UFO sightings from across Calander or Canada are collected and compiled every year by UFO Research, an independent Manitoba-based nonprofit group. Where Rockin, Rock, let me say it one more time. Rutkowski is amongst a half dozen volunteers. Uh, so you need you guys in California. I mean, excuse me, where did I get that? In Canada, any of you guys uh, want to get a hold of a group? In Montreal, uh, there is a group there, and you guys join it because we we need more Canadian reports. And that was my whole point. I believe that's a boat, right? A boat. <laughs> a boat. A boat. Yeah, a boat. Yeah, it's a, a boat, boat, right? A boot. A boot. A boot. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Love my love my Canadian friends. Actually, I got a report here of uh, <laughs> UFOs frequent yeah, frequenting. Yeah, they are actually uh, frequent, and you know what? Canada has produced some very damn good actors, so we got to give them that. Yes, yes, but, yeah, uh, but 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 they also but they also have had a lot of, of sightings, uh, you know, yeah, clear yes. back into the forties, and and they don't get reported. You know, we need they don't we need more reports yeah. from Canada. We That's do. true. We you don't need, hear you don't hear a lot of. Uh, we need someone besides Stanton Friedman who can actually. Yep. Uh, you know, contribute frequently. Hopefully, yeah. yeah you don't hear right. a lot of uh, UFO reporting out of Canada. It's very true. <laughs> but listen, there's a report here. It says UFO frequenting over China. Chinese Academy of Science researcher published this actually on the first today, just a few hours ago, and it's uh, from Frontier India. It says on July 7th this year, more than 20 flights were postponed at, and I'm not going to try to really pronounce this. I think is Ijaishan. I should not have tried to pronounce that. International Airport in... Okay, this is going to kill me here. Hangu Zinja. Providence... 
I guess is the province, uh, because of UFO sightings, uh, writes Chinese Academy of Science, CAS, and its website, Wang Shishao. A researcher fellow of the uh, Pupil Mountain Observatory of the Chinese Academy of Science in Nanjing uh, says the UFOs are much busier than usual. Wang has worked over 40 related sightings over the past 40 years, and Wang now predicts that great events concerning UFOs were going to come out of China in the next two years. Which, of course, wow. coincides with 2012. It continues on here, says, yeah. in an interview... Uh, Beijing Review, he says, uh, First, I'd like to say something about the conception of the great events about UFOs. It does not mean large number of UFOs, but refers to events of credible facts backed by observations. But these facts cannot yet be explained by existing scientific knowledge or natural phenomena. Through 39 years of investigation and research, I found that in the years ending with the numbers 1, 2, and 7, such as 1971, 1981, 1991, 1982, 1992, 2002, 1977, the year I was born, 1987, 2007, and uh, says great UFO events would happen on those years. So I think 2011 and 2012 will be another two active years. Now Wang continues to describe UFOs as bullied lights or spots of spiral lights with a spiral fans brighter stars brighter than stars i should say flying rods and ball lightning or that look like ball lightning in v-shaped aircrafts that are ufos as they appear over north part of china i'm not going to try to pronounce the name of that river there in china but he also uh, recounts that the v-shaped ufo appeared over uh, that city that I'm not going to pronounce, on January 10th, 2006, and the researchers say that uh, the last century there were also something like close encounters of this third kind kind of uh, event happened in China. Uh, but this is pretty interesting. They're saying that 2012 and 2011 there's going to be a, you know a great deal of activity with credible, yep. I guess, witnesses and, and backing it. That's pretty interesting, especially coming out of China. It's pretty interesting, I think. You know, I'm not in, I'm not I'm not one much for the. Uh, for the uh, 2012 uh, catastrophes and all of that, but uh, definitely something thick about to happen. I mean, we're hearing that out of uh, the Hopi tribe. We're hearing it out of uh, a yep. lot of the elders. We're hearing it out of South America. We're hearing it out of China now. And uh, uh, there's something definitely about to uh, do occur. And I'm just, I'm just glad I'm around to see it. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not big on, on uh, the whole 2012 conspiracy thing either. Uh, I'm not also big into like the whole numbers thing. I don't know if you guys ever heard Art Bell when he had the numbers lady on his show. Yeah. Um, yeah she yeah. would correlate things with yeah, numbers she, and stuff. She, she's not the only one, but nevertheless, I agree with you. Well, I'm not big on that. No, I'm not, not big on numbers, but it is pretty interesting that these guys, uh, you know, these scientists correlated that the you know every number ending on one or two or seven have had you know spikes on UFO encounters or UFO um, you know reports that's pretty interesting and you know the next couple of years are one and a two we got 2011 and 2012 yeah. uh, so that also kind of correlates to the whole 2012 thing could yeah. 2012 be the day the disclosure happens you know could that be what 2012 is kind of hope so so let me ask you, you know uh, but I really doubt you're it holding your breath for that right yeah right okay yeah I kind of hold my breath for it no I wouldn't want to turn blue <laughs> okay, either so in the face but yeah so I think probably before we run too short on time, we ought to let the audience hear what happened at the National Press Club because it's really pretty compelling stuff if it's it taken is. in context. If you take it as a minute and a half 
treatment like CNN did, then it's not quite laughable, but almost. No. So, uh, <laughs> so I recommend that we head there and and let everybody hear it. Let's do just that. Uh, Here we go. This is the National Press Conference on September 27th, 2010. Check it out. If you should see it. And he proceeded to tell me what to do. If we're out on the road, we see a UFO, we do not go to the launcher, but instead to the nearest launch control facility. Also, we call job control and let them know what we're doing. If we're at a site and we're penetrating, then we have to stop what we're doing, remove ourselves from the site, call job control. We all have radio controls radio contact with all these, call to job control, and uh, wait for further instructions. Now, if we're at the site and we're doing our work, I have to take myself, my team, and the targeting tapes, go into the launcher, close the personnel hatch. Now, all the teams, before you go out into the field, will take, our, take with us an armed guard. That's just normal. We have to leave the one guard, armed guard, on top, all by himself, and he's supposed to report to job control or the launch control facility or what he was seeing. And then I says, okay. But then he says, one other thing. Don't leave yet. We're going to hold everybody back until we're sure that all the activity out in the field has ceased, at least for the time being. So I waited around about an hour and a half. He was all ready to go. Then they contacted me and says, okay, you can go now. So I went with my team. We went out to the field. We went, restarted. We had to go to Oscar flight. That's not a very pleasant thing. Oscar flight is 120 miles. It's the furthest flight from the base. And in Air Force trucks, that's not the most comfortable ride. But nevertheless, we went out to Oscar flight. And we restarted, I think it's either three or four missiles. This is where Bob was at, at the time. We restarted three or four of their missiles. The startups were successful. And I saw no incidents in the field. When I came back, we have to go through debriefing. First things I asked them upon return to the base, what about this missile out in Belt? They said, as soon as light, daylight came, we was going to send choppers over. It was nighttime when they first saw it, and it wasn't going to, no one was going to st uh, have them scale down the mountain at nighttime. So was, they were going to send some choppers down and scale the mountain, scale the canyon, daylight time. But as soon as daylight time came up, this thing shot up right through the everything and just disappeared, more or less. So that uh, was that. Now, also, about a week later, I also heard that a UFO was sighted over India flight, and there was a partial shutdown. I think four or five missiles went uh, shut down at India flight with a UFO overhead, not the whole flight. And I had to go out and restart uh, at least two of them. And then the rest of my time at Montana, I was involved in no more further UFO incidents. Nothing else happened. And then I went on elsewhere. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Charles I. Halt. I retired from the U.S. Air Force in 1991 as a colonel. During my military career, I was base commander of two large installations. And at the time of my retirement, I was in the Department of Defense Inspector General's Office with total inspection oversight of all services and all service agencies. In 1980, I was reassigned from the Pentagon to RAF Bentwaters as a Deputy Base Commander. At that time, Bentwaters was one of the largest tactical fighter wings in the world. We had the two base complex, Woodbridge and Bentwaters in England, and four FOLs in Germany, and two additional standby bases. 
In December 1980, early in the morning, several of our security policemen discovered strange lights in the forest in East Anglia, just outside the back gate of RAF Woodbridge. Three patrolmen, Sergeant Penniston, Airman Burroughs, and Airman Cabanasack, actually were dispatched into the forest and approached the craft. They reported it being triangular, approximately three meters on a side, dark metallic in appearance with strange markings. They observed it for a period of time and it very quickly and silently vanished at high speed. Initially I was not aware of all the details. I was only told of strange lights and I was sure there was a logical explanation. Two nights later at the family Christmas party, we were interrupted. The on-duty flight commander for the security police squadron, Lieutenant Bruce England, came and approached the base commander and I. He was white as a sheet. He said, it's back. We said, what's back? He said, the UFO. Well, we still were, I should say, non-believers at that point. Since my boss had to do the presentations, I was tasked, unfortunately, to investigate. So I went home and changed clothes. I really expected to find a logical explanation. I took several security policemen with me, a disaster preparedness NCO who took an APN-27, a Geiger counter, and a camera. I also had my small cassette recorder I carried everywhere when I was on duty. Uh, I was taken to the supposed site. We found indentations approximately an inch and a half deep, approximately six to eight feet on a side, and radiation of eight to nine times normal background radiation. Not enough to be dangerous to somebody, but significant. We also found broken branches on the trees. While we were milling around trying to make sense of the whole thing, one of the individuals with me suddenly spotted something. Off through the forest was a bright glowing object. The best way I can describe it, it looked like an eye. with bright red with a dark center. It appeared to be winking. It would sort of wink. It was shedding something like molten metal. It was dripping off it. It silently moved through the trees, avoiding any contact. It bobbed up and down, and at one point it actually approached us. We tried to get closer. It receded out into the field, beyond the forest, and silently exploded into five white objects. Gone. So we went out into the field looking for any evidence, because something had apparently been falling off it, and we'd, we found nothing. But while we were searching around in the field, one of the people with me noticed some objects in the sky to the north. There were three or four objects in the north, brightly colored, changing from elliptical to round, and moving at very high speed and sharp angular movements as though they were doing a grid search. While we were watching them, somebody else noticed to the south there were two objects just sort of hovering in the sky. One object approached us at very high speed, best guess is three to 5,000 feet, somewhere in that neighborhood, stopped directly overhead and sent down a concentrated beam at our feet. It was about one foot in diameter. The best way I can equate it is sort of a laser beam. We stood there in awe. Was this a warning? Was this an attempt to communicate? Was this a weapon? Or just a probe? Just as suddenly as it appeared, click, it disappeared. We stood there, ah, really concerned. About that time, we noticed the other object to the south was sending down beams, about a mile, mile and a half away, over Woodbridge Base. Uh, we had three different radios with us, the police radio, the security police radio, and I had to command net. 
All three radios were functional and we were talking to control centers. They were constantly breaking up and we had great difficulties communicating, but we were able to discern that the, on the police and security net that some of those beams were either falling into or near the weapons storage area and there's a great deal of concern. Uh, it really bothered me at the time. I, every time something of significance happened that night, I kind of clicked on my little tape recorder and recorded it so I'd have a record of it for the next day. Unbeknownst to me, a copy of that was released by one of my co-workers several years later, and hence it was a lot of publicity. My superiors at the time were informed what happened. I briefed my boss. I played the tape for him. He listened intently. Uh, he was aware of the incident because he was monitoring the night before on the radio. He and several others were. He took the tape to the 3rd Air Force staff meeting the following Wednesday. 3rd Air Force was the Air Force headquarters at that time in England. Played it for General Baisley, the commander and staff. They all sat silently. Uh, the decision was, uh, it happened off the base, so it's a British affair. In other words, they were loath to get involved. So my boss came back and threw me the tape recorder, and I said, well, what do we do, boss? He said, uh, get with Squadron Leader Moreland, who was a British liaison officer, and do a report. It's uh, their problem, not ours. Gosh, <laughs> here I am kind of caught in the middle, and I'm a junior guy here. Whoa, why did I ever get involved? Well, Squadron Leader Moreland was on vacation in Wales at the time. He came back, and he was quite upset that he was in the middle of the thing, too. So he said, well, write a memo. So I wrote a, I'll show how it cleaned up memo, just kind of unexplained lights, just to kind of tickle their, get them to come out and investigate and look into the thing. Well, I gave it to Moreland, and unbeknownst to me, Moreland sent a copy to his superior, 3rd Air Force. I didn't know that at the time. The copied MOD was apparently buried in the files. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and I almost forgot about the incident, to be honest with you. Gave up. Uh, several years later, one of my co-workers was playing a copy of my tape at cocktail parties and caught somebody's ear. Somebody started asking questions and he said, oh, Halt wrote a memo. The next thing we know, there was a freedom of information request came in to, uh, to Bentwaters. Of course, there was no official copy. We didn't have word processors in those days. We used typing manifolds in the old typewriters. We were just transitioning. And the only copy was an onion skin that I had in my desk. So my boss went back and said, there's no official record of it. Well, somebody else found out the 3rd Air Force had a copy. Well, Pete Bent, a good personal friend of mine, was the acting 3rd Air Force commander, called me and he said, Hey, Chuck, I've got a copy of this memo. We're going to have to release it. I said, Please, burn it. Your life and mine will never be the same. You and I don't need this. Well, need I say more? The tape came out, unbeknownst to me. And the memo came out and a lot of publicity. But the events certainly happened. Now some things have happened since then. I was very innocent at the time and believed what I was told. I asked the OSI if they had an interest and I was told, oh no, not at all. Wrong. Uh, I found out later that the airmen were, how should I say, pretty harshly interrogated that were involved. I have never been debriefed. I also found out later that the tower operator both the tower operators at Bentwaters saw an object and picked it up on their bright two radar and watched it. I found out that the tower operator in a weapons storage area actually saw something, as did a comm man who was working there, and saw it go down into the forest near us. And also several other people around the base saw it. Uh, it's kind of interesting. What did we see? I have no idea what we saw that night. I do know it was under intelligent control, and in my personal opinion, it was either from another dimension or extraterrestrial.
Good afternoon. My name is Jerome Nelson. From 1962 to 1965, I was an Atlas FICBM Deputy Missile Combat Crew Commander assigned to the 579th Strategic Missile Squadron in Roswell, New Mexico. Sometime during the winter of 1963 through 1964, while I was on alert duty in the Launch Control Center at Atlas Site 9 west of Roswell, my top side security guard called me on the telephone and reported a bright light that is a f that is a fully illuminated round object was hovering silently over the missile silo and shining a light down onto it. I could tell that he was serious and his voice revealed he was very frightened. After perhaps five minutes, the object left the vicinity. Even before it left, I called the base command post at Walker Air Force Base and reported the incident. I was concerned the object would somehow sabotage the missile. I was surprised by the response I received, being told that the command post would take un the unauthorized excursion under advisement. I was never debriefed by my commander or anyone else, which I found quite puzzling and frustrating. Over the next month or so, this type of incident occurred several more times while I was on duty at Site 9. I would estimate the total number as more than three, but fewer than ten. On each occasion, I would call the command post, but each time my report was met with the same apparent indifference. During each of these incidents I witnessed, the guard would call the launch control center and report the UFO. Several guards were involved over time and were all obviously frightened by the object hovering over the site. Their voices were actually trembling. Because of my duties in the launch control center, I could not go topside and look at the objects myself. Only decades later that I, did I learn that at least one missile facility technician, Bob Kaplan, had been ordered to report to the Office of Special Investigations on base and make a report about the similar incident he had witnessed at Site 9 during the period. At the time, this development was kept from me and my missile commander. I do not know whether anyone else was interviewed by the OSI, but I wasn't. That's my report. Well, good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is uh, Patrick McDonough, and uh, I'm here today uh, to relate an experience that happened to me in September of 1966. It's 44 years ago, but that experience was so significant, uh, it was basically burned in my memory. I haven't forgotten about it at all. But I am getting older, and I did want to uh, put this experience and relate it on the record. Uh, a little background on me, I had uh, uh, enlisted in the Air Force in Berkeley, California, uh, in the first week of November 1962, uh, at the onset of the Cuban Missile Crisis it was going. I felt patriotic. 
And uh, up to that time, I had been studying engineering in college. I had three years of engineering. And the Air Force, considering my background, uh, trained me to be a geodetic surveyor. Uh, and I was assigned the 1381st Geodetic Survey Squadron in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we uh, basically, uh, uh, in 1965, we moved to Warren Air Force Base uh, in Wyoming. Uh, on average, I would spend nine, ten months a year uh, on temporary duty uh, surveying for latitude and longitude at our missile sites and aircraft uh, uh, bases uh, for positioning uh, missile and aircraft guidance systems. Uh, basically the squadron's mission was to provide precise uh, geographical coordinates uh, for a missile or an aircraft uh, uh, inertial guidance system so that it would, the missile or aircraft would know exactly, precisely where it was at uh, when it takes off. Uh, well, the intelligence agencies would provide the targeting information. Uh, in early of uh, September of 1966, uh, myself and two other airmen, a uh, uh, Airman First Class Al Kramer and a Airman Third Class Charlie Coates, uh, we were temporarily assigned to Maelstrom Air Force Base, and. Uh, were ordered to provide or perform the initial geodetic uh, surveys for the last 50 missile sites there. There already was 150 uh, Minuteman uh, 1 sites and we were uh, putting in the last uh, 50 uh, for the wing. And uh, basically uh, we were assigned to the Site Activation Task Force they call SATAF. Uh, it was a uh, Boeing, really, the prime contractor. Uh, uh, we were given a government truck, no radio, anything in it. it uh, I was the chief of party. I was the observer uh, on our small three-man uh, team. Al was the recorder. Charlie was, uh, we were trying to train him both in observing and uh, recording. Uh, we arrive, we normally would arrive at a missile site at about uh, in early evening, uh, we'd set up our instruments, uh, uh, and basically what I was doing was the star observation to provide uh, precise uh, latitude and longitude. On the night of this incident that happened, uh, we were completing a series of uh, what we call celestial astro-azimuth observations uh, southeast of Conrad, and I was doing the observing, uh, Al was recording, and Charlie was assisting now with the chronometer uh, on the time hacks as I tipped on Polaris. Uh, the unusual thing about this uh, missile site I was at was that the blast uh, hatch of the silo was open. And that was very unusual. Uh, normally when I'd go to these missile sites, even though they were not activated yet with a missile, they were always closed. Uh, the monoliths were there. We do four monoliths and um, do a precise uh, quadrangle. Uh, and the work we did was very precise. It uh, uh, involved a lot of, uh, it was basically all uh, using star shots. And uh, so here's a site that we arrive at and the blast hatch is open. And uh, we're nearing completion of the star observations. We had been to the other three monoliths, and I was at the monolith at the uh, 
uh, next to the hatch. Uh, and it was probably about 1, 1.30 uh, and a unidentified flying object came from the north and stopped right over us. Um, it, uh, I would say it was uh, well, probably about uh, altitude of 300 feet or so, maybe a little higher. It's a little hard to tell in the dark. Uh, it, it was round. It had, uh, uh, I would estimate its diameter at about 50 feet, kind of like a pretty large, you know, like a wingspan of a B-52, some, something in that range. It's pretty large. It seemed to have pulsating lights going around it, uh, and it had a uh, white light from the center looking down into the silo. Uh, there was no wind, there was no noise. Uh, still, we stayed there maybe 20, 30 seconds at most. It, and then uh, I, I just remember, I, I'm staring up at the stars, right? I'm, a pretty keen observer of uh, of what's uh, above me here and uh, the celestial uh, sphere up there. And uh, I just said to myself, what if this thing uh, beams beams us up and takes us off to some distant place and uh, never return to Earth again? I mean, this is going through my head here while this thing's above me. And, and then from this dead stop, it shoots off to the east, uh, just like now you see it, now you don't. It just, so after this UFO departs, uh, I grabbed my instrument and uh, jumped in the truck behind the steering wheel and off we went. And we weren't about to be there if it came back. Uh, we, we didn't have guards with us because uh, there was no missile. We didn't have a radio because we're not really um, in contact with the Air Force Base. I don't know any of this other stuff is even going on, to be honest with you. I mean, this is we're just kind of out there on our own doing these, doing these sites and mailing our material back. It was, uh, wasn't even aware there was a UFO problem per se. But as it turned out, the night's uh, uh, events weren't uh, totally over with us at that point. As we sped away and on our way back to Conrad, and uh, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers had base rocked all the roads to take the weight of these missiles they were bringing in. And of course, these are new sites. And they took down all the signs to make the roads wider. And I go over the hill and come down, the headlights come down, there's no road there, it teed, you know. And uh, so I tried to make a, you either went to the right or left, I tried to go to the left to, uh, uh, towards Conrad, and uh, the truck flipped over, and we ended up upside down. Uh, fortunately, none of us were hurt. Uh, we walked probably about two hours to the near nearby farmhouse, if you call that nearby, and uh, called the Montana uh, Highway Patrol. They, uh, the farmer drove us back to the uh, accident site, and it was interesting when the high, highway patrolman arrived, because uh, we told him, uh, you know, how did this occur? He was asking us, and I told him that uh, uh, his dispatch had told him there had been over 20 reports uh, to the uh, to his office uh, that night in reporting a UFO uh, in the area. Uh, I wrote instant incident reports to the uh, SATAF, Boeing, Montana's uh, 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 state uh, uh, regarding the accident. But, you know, what was interesting was I never heard anything 
from the Air Force regarding the incident. And I never had to, there was no uh, uh, retribution or reimbursement required for me for rolling this truck. And this truck had 18 miles on it that afternoon. It was a new truck. Okay, so they, nothing, I heard nothing. So this is, this part was good because I didn't really want to buy the truck. Um, I, uh, I went back to my headquarters uh, at uh, Warren Air Force Base uh, and uh, uh, about a month and a half later I was discharged. I did not mention uh, wrecking this truck up in Montana on one of my TDYs. They didn't ask me and I, uh, I didn't mention it. I didn't want to buy it. And, uh, but I, I must say now, my four years that I had with this geodetic survey squadron, uh, I had worked on the latest missiles and aircraft in, in the U.S. Air Force inventory, and uh, I, I worked everywhere uh, on these guidance systems, and uh, we, or I never saw anything in the Air Force inventory that could perform like this UFO did. It's, uh, I don't know what it was, but uh, uh, we sure didn't have any, I never saw anything like it. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, all of you for being here today and uh, thank the National Press Club. Uh, uh, hopefully someday uh, uh, the, uh, we'll know in the near future that the government will perhaps uh, release any information they have on uh, UFOs. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce Fenstermacher. I don't have any exciting stories like rolling a truck with 18 miles on it. Uh, in, from 1974 to 1976, I was a combat crew commander and a captain in the Air Force, stationed at F.E. Warren Air Force Base at the 400th SMS and assigned to Romeo Flight. In the fall of 76, uh, my deputy, who I'll call Sam because he's not given me permission to release his name, we were on alert trying to stay awake. We were listening to the conversation between the flight security controller of the topside NCO and the strategic alert team, the security alert team, the SATs. Kind of that was one way to stay alert because the SAC duty is moments of terror with hours of boredom. And suddenly we heard the FSC call the SAT team and say, stop the vehicle. Uh, get out of the vehicle and look around. I didn't tell them where to look or anything. And Sam and I looked at each other. And then said, what do you see? And he said, oh, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Holy bleep. I, I do see a white pulsating light in the sky. Uh, it's maybe seven or eight miles away. The FSC asked where it was. He said it's to the north. He said it's pretty close to where the the launch control facility is. So my deputy and I did a double take. We called upstairs and we said, what's going on? He said, you're not going to believe this, Captain, but right above us there's a huge white thing, pulsating light, above us, and I had to call them to make sure I wasn't seeing anything. Upon prodding, he told us it was shaped like a fat cigar, I think he said a pregnant cigar. White pulsating light between the pulsations, he saw red and, red and blue lights. Uh, it was silent, because I prodded him saying, is, is it some form of helicopter? He said, no, it's very silent. We're 
talking to him for several minutes, and he says it's starting to move away along our access road. So we hung up, my deputy and I are saying, what do we do? We gotta report this. He calls down, the FSC calls down shortly and says it's over one of our launch facilities, the missile silos, and it was the closest one along the access road. So I ordered the SAT team to go to that site. And they called in to, through the FSC, so they had to go back for batteries. Uh, and they were a little slow getting out, so I was kind of ordering them, come on, get, get on, get going. And, I, and the, at the same time, we contacted uh, SAC command post at F.E. Warren. And the NCO answered, and we told him the story. And he laughed and said, when it eats the SAT team, call me back. So... The SAT team never got to that LF. It silently moved again to another launch facility. We called the SAT team three or four times. I'm sorry, we called command post three or four times. The last time, and we got the same nonchalant attitude. The last time, I said, are you logging this? And they said, no. So I said, give me the officer in charge. And he said, well, he's busy. I said, well, either give me the officer's charge or I'm going to wake up the base commander, the squadron commander, because there's something going on, something's messing with my LFs. They were mine for that period. So the officer came on. I said, you need to log this or I'll wake everybody up. He said he would. He called us, his NCO, a different NCO, called us back a few minutes later, took the log of what had happened in a timely sequence. So it went to another LF, the SAT team had to come back for gas, then it said it had car trouble, it could only go five miles an hour. So uh, long story short, after several, you know, about an hour and a half, the flight security controller said he could see it over another launch facility down, still down the road, and then he said it suddenly and silently just went away up to a star size and then disappeared. So that was it. It was an exciting rest of the tour. The next day we were relieved by another crew to go back home. And I went upstairs and the FSC is, is lying like in a chair in almost a fetal position. And I talked to him and he was scared. He, he said, I can't sleep. I can't get that thing out of my mind. And I said, what the heck was with the SAT team? He said, both my deputy and I were prior service. So we got along well with the enlisted guys. So I said, if you promise not to tell anybody, uh, they told me they were not going to go to any LF with that thing over it. No direct orders, no nothing, and in fact, they never left the launch control facility. We picked up the Quebec, Quebec team on the way back, the Quebec, Quebec crew, because Quebec was on the way to Romeo, and SAC liked to save a little gas, so we, we, we rode share. And they told us that earlier that evening, they had the same sort of uh, thing flying over several of their launch facilities. And I said, what happened? You reported it. And they said, are you crazy? <laughs> we didn't report it. We're not going to report it. I said, well, I did. He said, well, if you tell them about us, we're going to say it never happened. They, so we went back home. I reported to my squadron commander. The next few, we always have departure meetings when you go out for alert. The next several departure meetings, we had uh, an unusual visitor. We had an officer in a, in, the, in a uniform telling us that he, you may have heard rumors about, about this. It didn't happen. It's top secret. 
And I wanted to stand up and say, which is it? Didn't it happen or is it top secret? So that's my event. I think Mr. Salas will be back. Thank you. Uh, what you have heard here today is evidence of a phenomenon. It sounds fantastic, and it is fantastic. Um, we presented this evidence in the public interest of open government. Our signatures on affidavits in the press kit that you have attest to the truth of our statements. Our evidence is now public domain. Uh, the real question is, what is the public going to do with it, um, this testimony? It has been a general practice of the media to scoff at these kinds of stories, make light of such testimony. We can only ask that you take the time to give some serious consideration, not only to our statements, but to the statements of other witnesses out there who have similar incidents. There is also documentary evidence uh, that helps support what we have said. We hope you will take the time to uh, at least take a look at those, uh, research this a little bit, and um, if you do, I think um, you'll come to the same conclusions that uh, we have. Uh, that is, that the UFO phenomenon is real, not imaginary. Uh, there's current excessive secrecy in our government uh, surrounding this phenomenon. Unknown aerial objects have, in fact, been observed over many of our nuclear weapons bases and other nuclear facilities. And in some cases, the appearance of these objects uh, coincided with compromising our, the operational readiness of our nuclear weapons. Um, although each of us might have different opinions about the meaning and intent of these incidents, I think we can all agree that the tampering of, with nuclear weapons is a national security concern. Uh, this is Air Force official policy on UFOs. Uh, this is dated uh, 2005, but I believe it is current policy. I'll just read one part of it. It says, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated uh, by the Air Force uh, was ever an indication of threat to our national security. That is clearly misleading. It is false based on our testimonies. Uh, the, this statement, uh, the decision to discontinue UFO investigations was based on an evaluation report prepared by the University of Colorado in 1969. I believe this was the infamous Condon Committee study. Uh, there was substantial evidence to show that study was superficial and biased. In particular, the Echo and Oscar incidents I spoke about were never investigated by the Condon Committee, even though their principal investigator was well aware of these incidents. Obviously, the testimony uh, given here today conflicts directly with uh, that Air Force policy statement. We ask that our uh, government uh, answer to the public about the obvious discrepancy between our testimony and that of the current statement. Indeed, we demand an answer based on the foundation of our democracy that says, and I want to paraphrase Franklin Delano Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, the people should be strong enough and well enough informed to maintain the sovereign control over its government. Finally, I want to say, I think I speak for every one of us here, um, 
Uh, I have the utmost respect for all the men and women in the U.S. Air Force. I graduated from the Air Force Academy. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed being a part of the Air Force, and I was honored to serve my country in that way. Our disagreement and challenge to the Air Force has nothing to do with the people of the Air Force. It has to do with official Air Force policy. Uh, and I think uh, they are deliberately withholding the facts, uh, not just uh, in what you've heard here, but uh, you know, continuously since 1969. And by doing so, they're not allowing the people of this country to engage in the decisions uh, regarding events that are clearly uh, national security issues and uh, concern to all of us. Uh, we're simply asking for the truth. Thank you for your attention. At this time, we're going to take questions. Uh, Mr. Hastings will take it from here. Uh, if you would, if you would uh, go to the microphone over here and uh, uh, tell us uh, what media you represent. Thank you. When you ask a question, I would ask first that you identify yourself and your organization and then direct your question perhaps to a specific individual. Uh, that person will have to find his way to the mic, so there will be a bit of delay. Yes. Uh, Pat McCune, the Daily Trojan, University of Southern California. We just did a big event here. And uh, Lucas Arts, Mr. George Lucas himself. I uh, wanted to commend all of you. You guys are soft-spoken, but you carry a big stick, and that's exactly the way to approach this issue. I remember when UFOs first got going, it was like a laughing matter until uh, they started revealing themselves in the deserts, Arizona, Colorado, and so forth and so on. I'm standing up here not only because if I'm a resource to anybody, if LucasArts is, uh, please let me know, and I'm, I'm glad to do whatever I can to help you. As well, I wanted to point out that my friend Charles Stone back here is something of a real authority on UFOs. He does quite extensive work and websites and all, and is a real authority if uh, you need uh, some questions answered. That's it. Hello, uh, Jeff Shogel with Stars and Stripes. Um, two quick questions. Uh, Mr. Hastings, you had mentioned that this is an ongoing phenomenon. Is there uh, an incident later than 1980 that you are aware of? And then uh, also, are there any testimonies here today that are new that have not yet been documented or been in the public domain? Um, this is a cross-section of the witnesses who've come forward. Uh, the latest incident involving nuclear missiles uh, was at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 2007. However, the person is still active duty Air Force. I'm not going to elaborate on that until that person is separated from the Air Force. Uh, another incident occurred at the Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, Area 2 Weapons Storage Area. Uh, a series of incidents, the latest being in April of 03, in which there were unidentified aerial objects maneuvering near the weapons bunkers at that facility. More recently, civilian sighting reports in Orange County, California, at the uh, Naval uh, Seal Beach Naval Weapons Station, a series of bunkers, again, containing nuclear weapons. Uh, there were local media reports of multiple sightings in March of 2009 near this weapons storage facility. Uh, this is ongoing. Uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. 
Uh, we can only catch as catch can. Uh, I am of the opinion that for every incident that I'm aware of and in, for witnesses that we've, uh, we've got in hand, there could be 10, there could be 100, there could be many, many more incidents that I'll never know about because the people won't come forward. They'll wait years or decades to talk about what they know. And is uh, anything that has been said here not been in the public domain before? I'm sorry? Any, uh, anything that has been said here, I know I've heard mis uh, the incident that Mr. Holt referred to, I've seen Mr. Salas. Um, is there anything here? The other people that you've heard here today, I reckon you have not heard about. Um, the testimony of the majority of these people have not hit the national airwaves, so to speak, or the national media. Uh, there have been web websites, I've written articles and so on, but the majority of these witnesses have not received national or international exposure. I think if we could maybe limit one question uh, per person so we can get everybody accommodated. Yes. Gentlemen, Stephen Smith, KSHE Radio, St. Louis. I commend you all for being here. What an incredible panel. And Robert, you and I have always spoken over the phone. I'm still editing the book. <laughs> I was uh, at Naval Headquarters in Communications during the Carter administration. And I can uh, affirm what you're all saying. This phenomena is incredibly real. And one day, a gentleman came into our comm station, came up to me, I, I had never seen him before in my life, and said, do you know that we have aliens on ice? And I was just taken back and speechless. I didn't pursue with any questioning. And he turned around and walked away walked out. I have been a contactee twice in my life, both times in Santa Monica, California, one in 1986, one in 1997. Incredible experiences that I won't go into detail right now. But I just want to say uh, bravo, gentlemen. Thank you. Spencer Ackerman with Wired. Uh, Mr. Hastings, uh, could you elaborate on why you've speculated that uh, the uh, unidentified flying objects that all of you have described um, were possessed the agenda of trying to tell us to turn away from our path of use of nuclear weapons? Um, are, there, are there other potential explanations that you've considered and found less plausible? Is there a possible offensive threat uh, to the world? Uh, from, from these UFOs? As I said in my introductory remarks, uh, that's speculative on my part. However, given the available evidence, that is a plausible scenario. Uh, we can clearly say, based on radar data, which are empirical, not anecdotal, that these objects have been tracked since the early 1950s, if not earlier, traveling up to 7,000 miles per hour, making right angle turns at high rates of speed, instantaneously hovering, reversing course. If we or the Russians or any country on Earth had those kinds of craft in the early 50s, why have we spent the last several decades developing fixed-wing aircraft of far inferior abilities? Uh, these are clearly, in my view, a technology uh, from somewhere else pi piloted by beings from obviously another world or another dimension. Um, moreover, the fact that missiles have been tampered with here and in the former Soviet Union and on one occasion in each country about which I am aware actually activated, I think we can rule out that these are the Americans attempting to start World War III or the Russians attempting to start World War III. Again, 
the technology involved is so superior and we cannot conceive of a logical scenario whereby either of our countries would attempt to activate nuclear missiles for any reason under the sun. Now, um, our opinion is that whoever these beings are, uh, they are indeed attempting to send a signal that we are playing with fire, that we are gambling with the human race's future. Uh, there are other possible scenarios. I have half-jokingly said from time to time, maybe they're planning to invade Earth and they, they don't want to inherit a radioactive environment when they do. Now, I don't believe that's what's going on by any means. I don't think humankind is in jeopardy from whoever they are and what their intentions are, except we will have our minds expanded. There will be a paradigm shift. Traditional institutions such as religions, governments, other social institutions may indeed by threaten, be threatened by what is coming. That is just a logical consequence of what is about to occur. But if indeed this earth is being visited by other races, and if those races are one or more races are in fact repeatedly monitoring and sometimes tampering with our nuclear weapons, that secret in our view should not be kept from the citizens of this planet any longer. But you don't think there's an offensive element to their, to their contact? I don't think there's any potential hostility, um, except, again, to closed-minded people. Sure. Uh, this is to the question of hostility. Uh, there, uh, it, what you've heard up here, and especially in my case, uh, they could have done a lot more damage in permanent damage to our weapon systems um, and, and they didn't. All, all of these weapons in, in my case were brought back up on alert. Um, it, it took a day or so but uh, everything was fine. Um, if they wanted to destroy them uh, with, with all the uh, powers they seem to have I think they, they could have done that job. So uh, I personally don't think that this was a hostile intent. Hi, I'm Charles Stone with the Tiger News Service. I didn't ask my friend to come up and uh, make that statement for me, but uh, appreciate your patience. Uh, I've published internationally in the history of weapons of mass destruction, uh, including going back to the 1940s, and these incidents go back to, the, to at least that, that period of time uh, that uh, U.S. government military facilities that were doing high-tech development in that period of time also reportedly at least had uh, UFO uh, uh, visitors of various types. Uh, and that uh, there are there is uh, archaeological evidence that there have been uh, what we would call uh, that the, that there's uh, evidence of what was was almost certainly uh, atomic uh, warfare in in ancient history at least to, to twice and uh, also that I'd like to mention that one of our biggest and most powerful government agencies uh, was founded in part. To, to monitor uh, UFO activities. That was the National Security Agency in the, in the late 1940s. Did you have so a question, sir? That, that, are you aware that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, uh, the NSA was partially founded to, uh, uh, be, to, to monitor UFOs? I've heard rumors to that effect, and also the Central Intelligence Agency. In my view, those rumors aren't supported by any authoritative documentation at this point. I would not be surprised at the same time if that were ultimately proved true by historians, but that's as far as I think we can take it at this point. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is John Kelly. I'm a columnist at the Washington Post. Colonel Halt, 
Um, you mentioned that when you went out you had a, uh, um, a cassette recorder, a Geiger counter. You said a camera? Camera, 35 millimeter camera. Did, uh, so, um, <coughs> first of all, did you take any photographs? And second, how does a cassette tape uh, made by you, presumably for official purposes, end up at a cocktail party entertaining guests? Okay, two questions. Let me answer the first one. The disaster preparedness individual I took along, Tech Sergeant uh, Monroe Nevels, also worked for the base newspaper part-time. He was a professional photographer on the side, had a degree in photography, had his own dark room. In fact, when he left the base, we had serious problems because he painted one of his rooms with flat black paint. And we had to redo the paint about four or five times. He took numerous pictures, pictures of the indentations, pictures of the broken branches. He tried to take pictures of the objects in the sky. He took the film back home, and it all came out fogged, unfortunately. Now, he did it in his own darkroom. I used to have a darkroom and dabble in photography, too. He could have done it himself. It could have been a radiation, which I have doubts about, or something could have happened that we don't know about. But anyhow, the film all came out fogged. Uh, Sergeant Pennison had a camera. It was not uncommon for the security police on the perimeter to carry cameras because the British have a lot of, we call them bird watchers, people that catch tail numbers and follow the history of airplanes and climb over the fence from time to time, not to do any damage or any harm, but curiosity and try and get close. It's part of a game. So we would, if they did that, we would photograph them inside the fence and turn them over to the British police. Sergeant Pennison took his film to the photo lab and turned it in, and they told him it disappeared. I can't answer that. The other question, <clears throat> what was the other question you asked about the... So did you personally have a camera that were taking pictures? I did not. I had the micro cassette recorder. We, uh, keep in mind, we were just in the process of transitioning to word processors in those days, still using the typewriter. Our secretaries were very resistant to getting involved in modern technology. And so what I would do, I carried one in my pocket, a little Lanier, and we had the big Lanier machine in the office. And when I went around the base, I'd note, you know, the fence is damaged here, this needs to be painted, whatever was going on. And I'd come back and give her the tape, and she'd type it up for the staff meeting the following week. So I just thought, well, I'll take the tape recorder along because I don't want to take notes. It's cold and windy, dark. So I took my tape recorder along. It was a little micro cassette one, those little tiny ones. I still have it, by the way. I came back, and after the tape was played at Third Air Force, and I played it for Squadron Leader Moreland and several other people, Ted Conrad, my boss, then say, make me a copy. So I made him a copy. He put it in the desk drawer, in his desk drawer. He moved on and was replaced. And the gentleman that replaced him thought it was hilarious to play the tape. I didn't know this at the time at cocktail parties. So he was playing a copy. A copy of that copy somehow or other got to a gentleman by the name of Harry Harris, a British uh, banister or a lawyer. Harry was an uh, amateur ufologist. He and a guy by the name of Max si uh, Mac Sa Mike Sachs. I traced this down years later, and a couple of ladies named Brenda Butler, Dot Street, and Jenny Randalls, who were writing a book at that time, all got involved, and my tape got out into the public domain, a copy of my tape. What's on the internet now is probably a fifth, sixth, or seventh generation, but it's out there. So does that answer your question? Thank you. Let me interject that Robert Jameson, the missile targeting officer from Malmstrom in 67, does need to catch a plane, and so if anyone wants to direct a question to him, you'll need to do it in the near term here. Hi, Ledge King with Gannett, Washington Bureau. I have a 
three questions, two of which can be answered by raising a, a hand. Uh, the first is, have any of you been contacted uh, in the last month, I guess, whenever this event was being planned, by a government official telling you not to show up or trying to dissuade you? Any of them? Any of you? No. Second question is, um, Mr. Hastings alludes to the fact that there's a message being sent here that we ought to get rid of nukes. How many of you subscribe to that theory? Uh, that, that, that the theory that, that you support getting rid of nukes, first of all. I, I don't think he said that. As, well, that what, 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 what you're being asked is Bob and I are of the opinion that the, the, the bottom line is the best explanation for what has taken place at our nuclear weapons sites is that whoever are in the UFOs are in effect sending a message, perhaps getting rid of nukes, expressing displeasure or concern, but certainly uh, indi indicating an interference with the weapons. You're being asked whether you subscribe to that or not. Do you support? Not quite, not quite that, to no. that degree. I yeah. think they're modernists. Sure we don't things up. Do all of you support getting rid of nuclear weapons? I'm, I'm, Show of hands. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, can I just add? Sure. Um, uh, with regard to um, there, the, the reason I came to the conclusion that the, this was a message, uh, simply again, um, they could have done a lot more destruction, I think, uh, to our weapon systems, and they didn't. Uh, it was simply uh, shining a light on our nuclear weapons, and literally literally shining a light on, on, on nuclear facilities. Uh, this has happened all over the world. I can, I can point to other instances where UFOs came over, shone a beam down on the weapons storage area where nukes were, were stored. Uh, to me, it's pretty clear. This is just, you know, we're, we're shining a light on this. We're pointing it out. Uh, what are you people doing with nuclear weapons? And my final question, uh, which does require somebody to speak, <laughs> uh, is, you know, you've talked about how society and the, and the mainstream media sort of are very dismissive of all this. Can one or two of you talk about sort of the personal journey you've come to in terms of, um, you know, approaching family or friends or others about this uh, when people may think it's kooky to talk about this? Can one or two of you talk about how you know, how, was it difficult? How difficult was it? Um, that sort of thing. Thank you. Well, as a person who is very, very skeptical about this, what I call UFO nonsense, uh, when that happened that night and I thought through the process of what the logical explanations are, after that I was very careful about who I told what, because some of my friends, when I started on this, just laughed. Uh, so I got ridiculed. I, you know, I was used to the ridicule from the Air Force, except for the, the dual standard. We're going to ridicule, but it's secret and don't talk about. And and coming out was was my. I came out a little bit. I, I talked to Robert. I gave him a little bit of the story. I didn't want my name to come out. I was concerned. I don't want to be considered a kook. I don't want to, you know, because because I consider. Not so many anymore, but I consider some of the extremists a bit kooky. But I think it's more important that we come out and tell our story rationally and see that we aren't kooks, and this is what happened and make your own judgment. But I am, one of my concerns is that you all think I'm a kook, and I'm old enough that I don't really 
care that much because <laughs> it happened. So is that okay? How old are you? 68. Okay. Going on 95. I would briefly add to that that uh, I made a decision decades ago that no matter who laughed at me or threw things at me, I would speak what I knew to be the facts. Uh, the world is filled with self-appointed UFO experts, uh, persons who have all the answers, even though they've studied none of the facts. The scientific community is chock full of those folks. Journalism, frankly, is chock full of those folks. Uh, we're presenting credible witnesses for open minds, people who have an objective sense of their duty to inform the American public about the reality of the situation. We're providing you not only these witnesses, but many other witnesses who can testify as to the reality of all of this, and you may draw your own conclusions. I'm Lisa Fan from Epoch Times newspaper. Uh, my question is towards uh, uh, Mr. Arnison. Uh, you mentioned someone over there trying to send us a message. I wonder what kind of a message. Uh, do those aliens consider our Earth people uh, have a threat to them? Or they just try to uh, defend or they try to come here to occupy, take over Earth? What kind of a message do you think? If I knew that answer, I wouldn't be here. I really don't know. <clears throat> but they're, they're trying to tell us something without a, without a question, whether it's don't go much further, get rid of the things. I don't have any idea. Are they from the extraterrestrial? Who knows? Are they from other dimensions? Who knows? Are they from underneath the Earth? Who knows? Your guess is as good as mine, and I can't answer that question. Anything else? Um. The government are trying to uh, conceal this uh, information, the, the fact, actually, for many for all those years. Do you think this would do good for the society's stability, or is a kind of a, a prevent for some uh, advance or further research uh, for our society? No, no, that's a that's a big one. We have been lied to for so many decades about the truth of the matter and I think we need to have more openness in society as far as what these things are. Recently in the last year or two the Catholic Church has said publicly you know it's okay ETs can exist there are brothers and they are theologically saying it's okay to believe in extraterrestrials and if the Catholic Church says it it's got to have a big stick, I would think, as far as the Western world is concerned, anyhow. Do you think right now it's a time for human beings to admit there are other spiritual beings in the universe besides the human race? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's... Um, the thing is, people are so wrapped up nowadays in their own world. They're worried about jobs. They're worried about mortgages. They could care less about UFOs and ETs and paranormal events and whatnot. That isn't even on their radar scope. Unfortunately, but that's... I understand that. I haven't spoken to college students that much myself, but I understand that that is a fact. Yeah. And that's healthy. I think that's goodness. Oh yeah, I just wonder, 
I just wonder what's in the archives in uh, the Vatican as far as UFOs and things like that are concerned. If that could be released, wow, I bet it would blow the socks off a lot of people. That would be interesting. Okay. <laughs> let, sorry. let me, let me, you, you, you asked what would the potential changes be for society, would this be good? Let me briefly summarize and say, um, in 1975, a former CIA official, Victor Marchetti, wrote a best-selling book called The CIA and Cult of Intelligence. Uh, the CIA took him to the Supreme Court to attempt to public, uh, block publication of that book. Ultimately, a redacted version of it was released. It was the first book in American history to be censored by the U.S. government. The same Victor Marchetti in 1979 wrote an article for uh, Second Look magazine. Uh, the title, I believe, was How the CIA Views the UFO Phenomenon. He said, among other things, this subject was so sensitive that you did not talk about it in the agency unless you had a need to. Nevertheless, there were rumors floating around at the highest levels of CIA about recovered crash UFOs and the bodies of their crews. Thirdly, Victor Marchetti said, in his opinion as an intelligence analyst, with CIA for I think 11 years, he was of the opinion that no government on earth will voluntarily release this information because it would jeopardize the status quo, i.e. their power. Uh, even if there's no hostile intent or implication to the visitation of these beings, if indeed these are extraterrestrials, even if they're not uh, meaning us any harm whatsoever, Governments have nothing to gain and everything to lose by admitting the reality of this. And Victor Marchetti's opinion is that this will probably come out, you know, by some action on the part of the phenomenon itself, which will leave no doubt in anyone's mind. But don't expect Washington or Moscow or any other uh, government uh, to, to volunteer all the reality of all of this. Thank you. I'm Jim Canan. I'm a defense writer of long standing in this town for <clears throat> Gannett Newspapers, Business Week magazine, and I was senior editor of Air Force magazine. I'm going to ask a question, but I want to contribute something. When I was on Air Force magazine, I was told by an Air Force colonel of long acquaintance that this was real and that we were actually dealing with the aliens. I never had the guts to write. He said, you won't have the guts to write this. I said, no, because I have to confirm it. And you, if you can't tell me how to confirm it, he did give me a couple names, but it didn't pan out. I was like all the rest of the press. You know, I didn't have, I, if I couldn't confirm it, I wouldn't write it. Now, that may mean that we're somewhat cowardly, but at the same time, it means that we're also very careful. I do sympathize with the members of the press who do not write about this, even though I myself am convinced of it by now, because I was one of them once. But now, I have a question contemporary. Uh, two years ago, the Air Force Chief of Staff and the Secretary of the Air Force were dismissed by the Secretary of Defense for, among other reasons, being sloppy in their management of nuclear weapons. We transported an armed one somewhere. We sent components overseas and so forth. This shook up the Air Force. I want to ask you gentlemen in the aggregate or individually, do you think that this evidence of malfeasance ranks up there with not telling the public about alien or UFO intrusion at nuclear sites? Is there, is there an equation there? Uh, can I speak to that? Yes, sir. 
don't know about ranking, but uh, it points out the dangers of nuclear weapons. The fact that uh, uh, these accidents have occurred, uh, serious accidents with, with nuclear weapons, and uh, and uh, it's, it, just, it just points out how dangerous it is that we have them. Uh, I don't know how, how to compare that with the cover-up. I'd have done an analysis of the cover-up, and I'd be glad to give it to any of you guys that are interested. Uh, I th but I, I think it, it's, it's related in the fact that uh, the cover-up of, of the fact that the UFOs did intercede with our nuclear weapons is, is extremely important. May I add something? This Air Force colonel who talked to me about all this, he did so in result of my questioning about it after a Japan Airlines uh, freighter over Alaska was tra trailed by a UFO in 1987. I called all over Elmendorf, FAA, the Pentagon. And then I was approached by this colonel, whom I have known, who said, I understand you're interested in UFOs. And I said, yeah, you know. Well, I have something to tell you. And since he had known me a long time, that's why he got into this. Uh, it was a, it had no great enterprise on my part, and I still don't know what to believe. But would you comment on... He also said, though, that a lot of we have a lot of misconceptions about what they are here for. He said they basically don't give a damn. They don't care what we do. They're here for their own purposes. And that any notion that they should land and say, take us to your leader, boggles the imagination because they don't care about that kind of thing. And I said, well, do you have any idea why they are here? He said, no. And he didn't think anybody else in the Air Force or anywhere else did either. How does well, that let me interject. Uh, regarding the, the uh, November 87 radar tracking incident that you alluded to, right, and the, in recent years you may know that uh, the number five guy in the echelon at FAA, John Callahan, right. uh, has gone public and said that shortly at the, after that happened, uh, CIA agent, uh, two agents I believe, and some other government types convened a meeting at FAA headquarters and said we want all the radar tapes, all the voice tapes, and this never happened. Uh, I wasn't here. John Callahan said, how come we can't tell the people about this? According to this FAA administrator, the CIA agent said the people would panic, the public would panic. John Callahan, to his uh, immense credit, kept some of the data yes. down in his office. The CIA agent said, give me all of this. He gave him everything that was on the table, didn't tell him about what was downstairs. And when he left the agency, uh, John Callahan released that to the public. So CIA is still quite involved in all of this. Um, Leslie Kane's great book includes that again. I think regarding... Uh, well, to follow up on the other part of your question about, uh, you know, what are they up to, why are, why are they right. here, and so on, no one knows. Maybe the people at the CIA and the Pentagon and the Kremlin don't even know. However, uh, these very simplistic scenarios of if they're real and they're here, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, if they're anthropologists and this is a classroom experiment, you don't interject yourself into the experiment, the experiment you observe. Or an alternate scenario, if this backwards planet is on the verge of a nuclear holocaust, maybe on a limited basis you intervene in a way 
that the Pentagon knows what's going on, the Kremlin knows what's going on, except for troublemakers like us, the public at large in neither country does not go what's, knows, know what's going on. So in effect, you send a signal, in my opinion, to governments about nuclear weapons without alarming the general populace. Um, you know, the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was a UFO skeptic, he worked for Project Blue Book for so many years, he eventually believed, I've been wrong, science has been wrong, these are real, and we should check into it. When asked why, you know, the, the aliens, if that's who they are, do not visit us, he said, you know, a zoo is a nice place to visit, but you don't communicate with the, lizard, the lizards. So, you know, there's any number of plausible scenarios to explain why we have not had open contact. I am of the opinion that whoever they are have enough sense to know that if they interject themselves into our reality in one fell swoop, there could be very dire repercussions. Whereas, on the other hand, if they engage in an on-again, off-again cat-and-mouse behavior that allows a slow psychological conditioning uh, of humankind to the reality and the presence of their, their uh, themselves, then when open contact, if that indeed is in the cards, occurs, there will be far less trauma. Thank you. I wasn't meaning to contest your point of view, by the way, merely pointing out what I had heard. It's all right. Michael Rank from Lancaster County. Uh, Al and I came down this afternoon and uh, we were talking about um, the fact that we are now able to combine uh, human and non-human genetic materials by our medical sciences and I don't know whether any of you have had a chance to read uh, Dr. P Professor Jacobs book The Threat. He's a uh, tenure professor at Temple University and he has been doing uh, regression therapy with abductees for years and uh, he has quite a body of knowledge there. Um, my One of my reasons for um, asking this is being an old district attorney the definition of murder is the unlawful killing of another human being but nowhere does it say does it have to be 100 percent human can it be one percent human i'm waiting for somebody to play that card i'm out of the business now but that might be fun the um the uh other issue is the toadies in government who are uh following their orders to lose the files and freedom of information acts i think might take a totally different view as to uh, their attempt to preserve their jobs if they realize that there might be an argument made that there's a First Amendment violation by suppressing the truth about these things that have been found and seen and so forth. And the suppression works to favor certain religions uh, versus other religions. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you for coming. Again, uh, all of us will be available for one-on-one -on -one interviews for some period of time. Thank you. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, 
Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. systems are functioning. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the, the new king of radio. This is the Oz man, one of the voices in the Jackal's head. Are we alone in the universe? Now, I'm a voice of the Jackal's head. What if Is there life after death? I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. Is the government keeping secrets from us? This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Will the Cubs ever win the World Series? <laughs> I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. And that was Lloyd Pye. Who the hell are these voices inside my head? Listen live on the Jackal's head and find out. <laughs> Internet is not a brochure rack. You can't create a website like you'd create a brochure. Print it once, never update it. You've got to treat your website content like a business asset. But face it, you don't have time to focus on your web content. Turn it over to Ion Leap. We're an internet marketing agency who helps companies get found by search engines using robust content. Bring your website content to life. Learn more at ionleap.com. Greetings, Earthlings. I am McFlyn of Planet Zordon. Watch my friends, Ennis, Crenshaw, and Rick Osman tell unraveling the secrets right here on the Soup Media Network each Saturday at midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. And each Sunday at noon Eastern, they will bring you interesting guests and information from all over, about, or inside your pathetic little planet. Oh my. I've misplaced my tinfoil derby. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Welcome back, everybody, to Sky Watchers Radio. And we just got done hearing the national press conference in Washington, D.C. that took place this past month on the 27th. Guys, you know, we had to play that entire thing in its entirety because it was removed from the Internet on where it was, you know, located on the website that it was hosted on. 
and uh, it is an important piece of uh, information that we think everybody should hear. So I'm glad everybody stuck around and listened to it. And I want to get your thoughts, guys. You know, from uh, this press conference. So if you know, right right now we have about oh about 20 minutes, 25 minutes before we go off the show here. If anybody wants to call on in, please do so. The number seven eight six two four five eighty one twenty seven. I want to hear what you guys thought of this press conference and your you know your I don't know your mind state now on the news that these guys came forward with. You know, does this change things for you guys? Does this change the game? You know, one of the things they talked about here in this uh, press conference was how this is going to have a paradigm shift on a lot of things, you know, surrounding, you know, disclosure when it does happen. And this could start that paradigm shift. You know, could religion be affected? What do you guys think about that? Okay, go ahead. I I think that their perception that it will be a paradigm shift that will lead to total disclosure is a little, no offense to them, self-aggrandizing. I don't think anything's going to lead to disclosure unless, until and unless these beings, wherever they may be from, decide to land, oh, I don't know, say downtown Indianapolis on on uh, Monument Circle and say, hey, here we are, getting questions, that's when disclosure will happen. It will not come from our government or any government. Now, now could do you think re- this could be the what, the, I, what the end game is on all this? I mean, that could be the end game. Well, it could be. The other thing is their perception, and when I say they, it wasn't uh, universal. It was a couple of them said they're trying to send a message. You know, the, we got to get rid of our nukes. There are only two of them held oh, up the right. hand and said, "Yeah, that's what I thought." The other, the others, including you know, mostly officers and the one enlisted and the one retired captain who's now a UFO researcher, writer, professional, said, <coughs> "Well, okay, maybe." Um, the Hastings, the writer, he he was actually the first one to say, "Yeah, I believe that." And mm-hmm. uh, then the other guys who were as the prime example was Charles Halt or Halt. I'm not sure how he pronounces Halt. it. Who Charles was, Halt, I believe. Who was a fir- he, he, re- he retired as a full bird colonel. And when he was exec at uh, Rendlesham, or at Bitwater, I should say, he was already, I believe, a lieutenant colonel at that particular time. And what that means is when you're a full bird colonel, that means you get a flag on your car and you get a full-time driver. Okay, this is this is high rank. This is what they call literally flag rank, meaning you get a flag on your car. This is someone who is to be listened to and pay attention to them because they can make you or break you literally. And he's saying, yeah, this happened. This is what happened. He, he described it very carefully. He described it very plausibly uh, and when the question and answer period came, it was the best question, and his was the best answer. Of how yep. did this tape end up at cocktail parties? And he said, "Okay, here's the chain of events." And I'm reiterating myself, although he was nice enough not to actually say that. That you know, he, he gave the chain of events, and he gave a plausible explanation of why there weren't any photographs. To me, it's completely yep. plausible. 
Yep. There may have been actual photographs that were sent off to the lab and intercepted by someone. Disappeared. That's the word he used. They disappeared. Now, having said all that, what do I think? I think that disclosure is not going to come from a government. The reason I don't think there will be any disclosure from a government is because none of the governments know what the hell is going on. That's correct. I, that's you know I'm on that the same boat with you. Yeah, that because it's all it, it's all plausible deniability. It really is what it is. You know, if you don't know anything, how can you deny it? So you know, certain people are not told because they're not in the know or they don't need to know. Even the president is not in the need to know. That that's a, you know right. a common mistake people think. Yeah. Every time there's a new president, they're like, oh, he's going to disclose everything. You know, Obama's going to disclose everything. Bush is going to. No, they're not because most of these guys don't know what the hell's going on. They're paid workers, just like the rest of us. They're paid puppets. Right. They, as as I've told you many times, the president of the United States or the Prime Minister of Britain or any of them, they have no real power. They're nothing but friends. At all. Pieces. Yeah. Right now. The statement by the Air Force and any other entity that says we do not perceive any national security risk with these objects or these incidents. Um, well, let me see. There was an incursion into closed airspace. Um, these reports are numerous. They're pretty much undeniable at this point. Uh, yep. They, as one guy said, they literally shined a light on nuclear weapons that were in violation of treaties. Um, okay, then how is that not a risk to national security? Well, they didn't do anything to them other than the reported incident in uh, USSR where they activated one or the reports where they deactivated them on U.S. soil. It does seem like there's um, more deactivation of nukes than activation of nukes by these UFOs. So, I mean, if, if they're yeah. trying to send the message... I mean, let's let's play devil's advocate here for a second, Rick. And let's say, you know, we can't communicate with these guys because they're on a different wavelength. They're, you know, just much more advanced than we are. So the communication skills are not going to be something that we can understand or fathom. Now, one way for them to communicate with us... And well, they shot well, a damn flashlight. Okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that's elementary, rudimentary form of communication. You know, the whole thing, the whole bottom, the bottom line. That's one way they would communicate that, with us. One uh, way will be a flashlight. Uh, one way will be to shut down nuclear facilities, and that'll be a way to tell us, hey, this is you know something you shouldn't right. be doing, without telling us this is well, something you shouldn't another, be doing. Just under the same token, under the same token, they could be saying, under the same token, they could be saying, look what I can do. To you, yeah. you've got these nukes. Yeah. Look what I can do. You know, I mean, yeah, okay. there's no, there's no way in jumping from them shining a light on a on a nuke to uh, they're telling us to get rid of them is bull. Well, right. but the and but the bottom line decide. is though they still they still haven't killed us though. The bottom line is we're still right. here. They so, haven't blown us up to smithereens. So you know their agenda so far hasn't been cruel or evil. No, it hasn't. So far. Well, well but the and, other... And, and now, okay, so... Well, might not agree with you, but okay. Right. So, <laughs> so... So, let's, let's but, take... Let's take an extension of what one of the gentlemen said, and I forget which one of them it was said. Uh, let's say, for example, this is a zoo where the animals, they're watching us. They don't want to get inside the experiment. Um, right. Okay, yeah, I, that's, that's probably as plausible, maybe more plausible than most scenarios. Another scenario is 
um, okay, we're not going to spank you, but we're going to make sure that you understand you're doing wrong. Well, that's not like we would do it. We would slap the kid upside of the head, most of us, and say, hey, quit that shit. Yeah, but they're not Sorry. us. That's the Quit you're thinking. Stuff. Like you're thinking, you're thinking yeah. about us. You're talking about alien. Right. Right. They're not going to think how we're going to think. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, Rick, I disagree with that. I just I disagree with that fact that you said that most of us would do that. You're, I would do it. You would do it. My son <laughs> wouldn't do it. My 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 brother didn't do it. Uh, they think sitting them down and talking to them and all this is different. So yep, everybody exactly. thinks That's different true. on that. You got right. you got these, you've got people who've been abducted, who they've been uh, impregnated and and examined, and then you've got other people who've been cured of diseases and all. We're not dealing with something that's just cut and dried as as though you know there's more. No, about you, you you misinterpret how I was saying it. What I was getting at is their behavior is nothing that we recognize as something that we would do. Okay. On the other hand, what you said, Dennis, about hey, look what I can do. That reminds me of the Native American practice of counting coup. You didn't go out to kill exactly. your enemies. You went out to touch them and say, hey, hey, nah, nah, nah. That's exactly what I meant, too. That, that might now, be but, you know, but, well, go ahead. But go ahead. that still goes back to the idea of, is it or is it not a security risk? Well, it is, because they... It definitely they, is. It definitely yeah, is. They got into closed airspace. But they the other definitely thing. had, they definitely the had a focus on our nuclear, our strategic exactly. weapon systems. Exactly. Oh yeah, that was so a security they, threat, definitely. I mean, yeah, no doubt it's a security there, threat. There, there's no doubt right, that it's a security so, threat. I mean, so so the the major disparity between these crafts shining a light on these silos, or you or I jumping the fence, running out there with a flashlight and shining a light on. What's going to happen to us if we do that? They can catch us. That's the difference. That's the <laughs> difference. That's exactly, and that's the only difference. They can't touch these craft for whatever reason. They can't either. Either they can't catch up with them, or when they do catch up with them, none of the weapons work against them. None of that actually matters. They but, well, there is admit, there is. Yeah, but there, there's there is talk that we've admit. been able. But there is talk that we've yeah, been able to talk. shoot some of them down. There's talk. There's talk of all kinds. What we heard in this National Press Club event was, these are the facts as we know them. There were no outlandish yes. claims. It That's was true. calm. And all these guys are, uh, I consider them pretty good witnesses. They were trained observers for this kind of stuff. Yeah. They, were, they were advanced officers. Most of them were uh, academy graduates or... You know what? Whatever they did to achieve that rank, unlike some other people we were talking about earlier, Dennis. Um, <laughs> they, like I said, they're plausible witnesses and good observers, and they did mm -hmm. not tell embellished stories. When they said this is speculation, they were very clear: this is speculation. These are facts. Yep. Facts as yep. I know them. Yep. Okay. And I do like the, the fact that most of these guys the said that. Well, real quick, Dennis, most of these guys didn't, you know, make up things like messages and all kinds of craziness. They just said, look, we don't know what their message may be. We really don't know where they might be from. Uh, we don't know. They could be from outer space or they could be from the inner earth. 
They really, we just yeah. don't know anything. And you know, they brought up the fact that, yeah, this could be, uh, you know, from the inner earth. It could be anything. They would, we don't know. There's the, you know, they left it at that, and I think that makes it even more believable. It's not like these guys got up there and they started saying, well, the aliens obviously want to preach to us about peace and brotherhood amongst right. all men. Right. And, you know, we, you know they, didn't, they didn't do that, which that makes it a little bit more believable in that sense. But Dennis, you know, this touches on with the hollow earth because they did say they could be from within the earth at one point of in that course. audio. And, and, well, one and guy course, said that. Yeah. One guy said, yeah. and of course they could. I mean, that's the most obvious of all, but like Rick says, also the most overlooked. But the point, but something that I want to bring out, and you know, I hate to, I always feel like I'm sour grapes or whatever, but now these guys <laughs> call this, this, well, no, but, uh, you know, if we're going to talk true, let's talk truisms, you know. These guys called this press conference probably a month ago in the in the press club in National D.C., Washington, D.C., to, 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 to give out these facts. Yet the military personnel of the same rank in 1994 gave the same information to Brad Steiger, and he published it in the railroad, in the Rainbow Conspiracy. The exact same information from military people, named military people there. Now, why yeah. do they wait 10 years or whatever, or, or why do they wait and, 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 and act like this is some big new deal? Well, there's a couple reasons, and I got my theory. There's a couple yeah. reasons, and I got my theory. But go ahead, Rick. I'm gonna let you get the first word on this one. Okay. Because I know the, I know you're itching at this one. First thing is, <laughs> I am because first of all, Brad Steiger is not interested in what the National Press Club thinks. That's number one. Yes. And Bob Hastings is because he's got a new book coming out. That's well, there's that's my point. point. There's my point. Yeah. There's my point. Aha. Uh -huh. The other. <laughs> But the other and very closely related point is Brad Steiger is not a retired captain in the U.S. Air Force, and Hastings is. So he could be part and parcel of this whole deal and still be a plausible witness, quote-unquote plausible witness. Yes, he has yep. an agenda. His agenda is to help sell this book. Now, whether his personal aims are to get the word out through selling this book or to get the word out and make money selling this book. That's kind of immaterial if the word gets out. But as you mentioned, Dennis, the word's already out. It's been out for years. But here's the other problem. Here's the other problem. It, it came out with that. Now, now, I don't know whether you remember it or not, but that book, I mean, that really went big uh, with the information in it and then died out. Is the same thing going to happen with this book and these bunch of, of uh, whistleblowers that... You know, in other words, when well, is it's anybody the same ever going to take <laughs> It's the same whistleblower. So, so is it new information? No. Is it a new take on the information? Not, not really. Is no. it um, a new press event? Well, judging by a minute and a half on CNN, no. It's not, a, not even a new press event. So, is it going to lead to disclosure? Not a chance. No, of course not. But uh, my point is, why do we keep rehashing <laughs> you know that that's my bottom line point always well the only thing that i found interesting about this particular event was hastings alluding to some new events quote unquote new events 2004 2007 and his his claim probably a substantial claim i can't really say for sure 
that this is an ongoing phenomenon, that they keep coming around the new facilities. Well, the one thing I want to say about Colonel Hastings is he will not lie because I see he wears a pair of airborne wings. So we know no, that's, he will that's Colonel Hall. Lie. Yeah, Colonel Hall. That's Colonel Hall. Right. Uh, Captain we Hastings. Know, we know Captain that Hastings that is a different deal. Yeah, well, okay. well this, Dennis, we know Rick, for, for money, for money, anybody would lie, and uh, you know, not we got to take that into do, account not also. If not, if, not if they're paratroopers. I'm sorry, buddy. We don't lie. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you might not lie, but I'll tell you what: other folks for money would do just about anything. And you know, the fact that some of these guys have books coming out is very intriguing. Uh, at the end of the day, this almost feels really like it was just a way of these guys making all these stories which, you know, were kind of told anyway already by oh, some of these well, guys independently. Yeah, no, no, they just no, try no, to make no. it official. No, I don't, I don't, That's I really don't, what it all I don't like. agree. I, I don't agree with what, that perspective. One guy's got a book coming out. Yeah. One guy's got a book coming out. Right. And I don't agree with that perspective. I think they are telling the truth about what happened. Oh, I'm not and, saying uh, they're not telling the truth. I'm just, I'm just saying that it's very, very funny and ironic that, you know, they, one of them has a book coming well, out. It's, and, it's, you know other always, guys are going to get always. book deals out of this. You know you know that. Oh, yeah, it always. No, most of them. One has a book now. Yeah, but one has a book now. I bet three or four of them are going to get book deals afterwards. You know, the thing <laughs> is, this is going to bring a lot of light to the subject. It's going to ha be spoken about. It's going to bring the subject up, which at the end of the day, it's, it's really a good thing because this is what we want it's in college thing, anyway right. for people exactly. to talk about the, su about the subject. And we want That's people to right. discuss it. We want people to open their minds to the possibility that we're not alone in the universe because guess what? If we were alone in the universe, it would be a hell of a waste of space. Incredible waste of space. As, as, as Dennis we says, we're not like, even. Go ahead. As Dennis <laughs> says, we're not even alone on this planet. Yeah, but we're not really counting the Puerto Ricans. I mean, they're, they're special people. <laughs> well, they're definitely alien, even if they are U.S. citizens. <laughs> yes. Well, you, you oh, gotta take man, it easy on everybody. Now you don't know where in the world you might end up. <laughs> No, Los amigos, lo siento. Uh, that's right. I, lo know, I love my Puerto Rican know. people. Are you, are you kidding me? I yeah, love them. I know you do. Right, right where they are, I right where they're do. at. Yep. Right where <laughs> Puerto Rican. <laughs> but uh, hey, this is guys. Any, 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 any talk, any, any, any discussion, anybody that calls a press conference, writes a book, makes a movie, I don't care. Anybody that can wake more and more people up to what's going on around us, it doesn't matter to me. If somebody exactly, make, if yep. they write a good enough book to make right. it. If they make enough money off the book to, to make it worth their while, that means they're getting the word out that much. And, and to me, right. that's the very bottom line important thing. So Brad Steiger did write it, you know, the same stuff uh, 10 years ago. Well, then it's time to bring it back out. And if this guy doesn't do it 10 years from now, somebody else needs to jump into it yep. before yep. all these people die. You know. I do find it funny that more and more of these stories are coming out as we get closer to 2012. I still say that 2012 is not going to be any disaster on this planet that's going to end life or anything like that, but it could possibly be the year that disclosure happens. And, you know, yeah, you know it's funny because... I don't think it'll have anything to do believe. with the government either, guys. I don't think it'll have anything to do with disclosure from yeah. the government. I think it'll be disclosure from them. Up there, you know, they might yeah. just decide and to disclose themselves on Twitter. Or down there, and, you know, and you know, 
And you know what? Going back to William Cooper's book, Behold the Pale Horse, he does have a chapter in there where he talks about how the government are going to manifest a UFO event to That's fool the exactly masses. Right. That's right. And uh, this yeah, could right. be just that. We might be manifesting, uh, without us you know, knowing, we might be manifesting some kind of event on 2012. Uh, it, you know, stranger things have known to happen. And we might be manifesting something that the government is planting right now. Yeah, and, uh, that uh, might let me, be let me really see happens. if I got this straight. Let me see if I got this straight. We've got a bunch of Air Force, retired Air Force officers and one enlisted up there who refused to... Different, uh, refused to combine facts with speculation, and now, now we're speculating. Well, yes, we, we got are. a radio show. We've got the right to speculate. <laughs> oh, okay. We're, uh, it we're keeps it entertaining. Damn it. That's right. It's oh, our inalienable okay. right. We're not reporting news. We're not. Uh, you know, we weren't there, so we've got to make it sound like we know something. You know, I mean. Oh, okay. I don't know a damn thing. Hey, all, all I can I do is pretend. All, all I can do is pretend. That's all I can do. But listen, we're almost there out of time go. here, guys. I want to thank everybody who checked out the show today on Skywatchers Radio. Thank you for my co-host who uh, joined me, Mr. Rick Osmond, Dennis Crenshaw. Uh, guys, who are you guys uh, coming up? Uh, got coming up this weekend on Unraveling the Secrets? Why don't we tell the folks what we have coming up here? Okay. Saturday night, midnight, we have Fritz Zimmerman. And you'll like this nice. one, Jackal. Nice. He is an expert. He's a, a researcher into the ancient mounds and earthworks of the Ohio Valley and how they relate to the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Yes. Nephilim. Take your take take your pick on the pronunciation. Yeah. And right. on Sunday, on Sunday we have another great author and researcher by the name of Peter Moon, and he's covered everything from Montauk to. Well, just about everything. Yeah, so tune nice. in. Right. Yeah. Good. Good line. And we'll, be, and, we'll, and, we'll be, and we'll be bringing an update uh, probably uh, probably Sunday uh, noon show. We'll be bringing an update on Delshaw. I mean, not Delshaw, yep. excuse me. On, uh, on uh, Help Dulcy. Me Out, Rick. Dulcy. Dulcy. Yeah, Dulcy. Yeah, we've been reporting on Dulcy Base since the... Uh, Late 80s, early 90s, and, and there's a new update, so we'll be updating you on yep. that. And be sure and tune in on on Sunday at 2.30 Eastern. Tune in to the Oopaloopa Cafe. Yeah. So we'll bring you exciting news in history and archaeology. Very and I'll nice. be there, too. Maybe some surprise callers. That'd be nice. That'd be great. Uh, myself, I actually have uh, a couple shows coming up, and I have some news on one of my shows. Uh, my Monday shows is moving down an hour. It's uh, no longer going to be at 10 p.m., and now it's going to be at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And let's tell them why, guys. Guess who's coming over sure. to the network? Mr. Ken, Ken Hudnall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The yeah, Ken Hudnall show is going to start up this week coming up at what is it, 8 p.m. Eastern Time all the way to 11, yep. so I'm going to be following Ken Hundo on Monday nights at 11 o'clock. Yeah, and Ken, you know, and Ken is, Ken is, is, a, is a storyteller, man, and, and he knows, knows some stories, he does good research, and he gets into all types of paranormal and treasure hunting and all kinds of stuff out Midwest. He lives in El Paso, so you guys know Conspiracy theories, you name it. He's got it. Yeah, he's written 40-some-odd yeah. books on all this stuff. So we're 
You're lucky to have him, boy. Yep. Yeah, okay, we are. I, the guys, I guess we're probably to, out of time, so. Well, hold on. Before we do, Oops. tomorrow I got missed. Uh, well, I got hold on, hold on, calm down. I got Stan Romanek yeah. coming on the show tomorrow. I want to tell All everybody right. to, you know, yeah. check that out. He's yeah. going to be on tomorrow night. Stan Romanek. That's going to be 10 p.m. Yeah. Eastern time on the Jackal's Head right here on PSN Dash Radio. And Sunday night I got Sean B from Paranormal Cookbook. Good cool. guy, friend. Wow. He's going to be back on. This yep. is the second time he's on the show. He's a fun guy to oh, talk man. to. So he's. Check that out at Sunday, 10 p.m. And next week, I already have him booked for Saturday on on the Jackal's Head, Mr. Stephen Bassett. He'll be back on there. So that's going to be great. Hey, but, yeah, guys, we're out of back. time. He, he, I was going to say he's back from Australia. He's back from Australia. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Great, In fact, uh, he, did a, he did a little interview with Gary Anderson, which I'm going to replay on the show next week. Uh, so we can hear that also on there. So that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to having Very him cool. back on. But, guys, we're out of time. But I want to thank everybody who joined us again one more time for uh, Skywatchers Radio here on PSN-Radio.com, the Soup Media Network. We'll catch you back on here next Friday at 5 p.m. Now stick around for a little music here on the network. Over and out. This is the planet of the admin.